we, we want to look at particularly the manger. You know, God does all things for his, his glory, and by taking Jesus, the long-expected Savior, and putting him in a manger, which is essentially a food trough, to be discovered by the shepherds, he's saying much to us about the ministry of Christ, and that is the life and the ministry we are to follow, isn't it? So if you would, open your Bibles to Luke 2, and we'll start reading around verse 8, and just go down a little ways. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you Good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. Please pray with me. Father, what a good word. Glory to God. Peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. Who is it that he is pleased with? It is those who have received Christ are clothed with the righteousness of the Son that he is most pleased with by faith. Lord, we just praise you for that. Thank you that you have made us pleasing to you. And like we said last week, and you give us the Spirit to walk in a way in a life, even when we sin to repent, which is pleasing to you. Father, we want to see now, though, we want to walk in humility. We want to be a people who embrace humility. What does that look like? Teach us. Take your word right now. Father, penetrate our pride. Father, show us our pride, Lord, because that's what keeps us from our best good, which is you. That's what keeps us from deeper fellowship with you. That's what keeps us from deeper fellowship with other believers, Lord. And so I pray, God, that you do a work of humility. Set this mind in us, which was in Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. hope you have some heroes in the faith. And one of mine is a man by the name of George Whitfield. He was the greatest evangelist since the Apostle Paul. You might know him. He preached in the 1700s in America and England. He and Charles Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. And their preaching led to the great awakening that spread and radically changed and gospelized America and England. But while Whitfield was wrapping up one of his campaigns in the uh, northeast part of America, he said this, unconverted men should not be in the ministry. 
That, that seems like a pretty no-brainer, right? But that was actually an argument of the day that you can be unconverted and you can still do good for people and therefore still work in ministry. It, it brought an absolute tidal wave of opposition. And so after leaving New England, he was preaching his way back down to Georgia. And he says this, I met with a bitter pamphlet written against me by some of the Presbyterian persuasion. Oh, coals upon my head. The pamphlet came from a group who did not identify themselves, cowardly Presbyterians at that. Don't be a cowardly Presbyterian. But read almost everything they had done. They'd read almost everything that Whitfield had written. And they chose some of the stuff that he'd written young in his ministry, and they, they took it out of context. And so one of the such things that they really pushed was Whitfield believes that you can be fully righteous outside of Christ. Now, this pamphlet spread like wildfire all across America. His friends urged him, look, you, you've got to respond. Listen to what he says. I think it no dishonor to retract some expressions that formerly dropped from my pen before God was pleased to give me a clear, a clear knowledge of the doctrines of grace. I retract it, he said. St. Augustine did the same. Then he goes on and he explains his errors. He wrote it in his own pamphlet and sent it out. And then he says, but you missed a few of my errors. And he gives him more errors that he had, had written when he was in his youth. And then he thanks them in this pamphlet, those prideful Presbyterians, for pointing out his errors. And when asked to reply, he said later in life, God enabled me to write it with a spirit of meekness and humility. Augustine says this about humility. If you ask me concerning the most important precepts of the Christian faith, first, second, third, and always, I would answer humility. The whole framework of the gospel of Christ is designed to bring about humility in your lives. And in the life of Christ, it starts really with the announcement of his birth here in Luke 2. We see an angel of the Lord appearing in glory to simple Jewish shepherds to announce the Messiah's birth. And, and this will be a sign to them. You're, you're going to find a baby swaddled in swaddling clothes, and this baby will be in a manger, which is a food trough. Do you see what God's doing here? <laughs> when the Messiah, the long-expected king, was to be found by shepherds in a food trough, God is showing his contempt on all the glory and the pride of man. He, he sent the Savior of man to be born in circumstances far, far beneath earthly glory and rather circumstances of earthly shame. The whole framework of the gospel is designed to bring about the humility that it takes for you and for me to repent of our sins and to believe. And it starts here with the manger. 
So if our Lord and King Christ is humble and we love him and are so thankful for his humility, which led him not just in the manger, but to the cross, then certainly his disciples, those who follow him and claim his name, his people, his church, his servants should be humble as well. For it makes no sense, does it, for the, for the king to be prideful or, or the king to be humble and his servants below him who follow him to express pride in how we live. So here's the main idea today, that the whole work of Christ is designed to bring about the humility it takes for repentance and faith. So let, let's just have a brief look at the humility of the manger. The humility of the manger. And we're going to start with this. First is this. The humble introduction. If you look in your Bibles at verse 8 and 9. Verse 8 and 9. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field. Keeping watch over their flocks by night. Suddenly an angel of the Lord stood by them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. Notice those first words in the same region. That's, that's Bethlehem which was a mountainous, cold region in the winter. Same region that young King David would have worked the flocks of his father. Same field, same area. And notice what it says. Shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. So shepherds at this time, they, they were not, it was not a real esteemed profession to be shepherding by, by the Jewish religious class and, and ruling class. Primarily because they couldn't keep all the ceremonial laws and religious rules. And so there they were at night out protecting their sheep. And what that probably meant was they had built these giant round, maybe as big as this area up here, pen. And they would leave an opening, let's say it's six feet wide. And then the shepherds would sleep, they would be the gate. They would sleep in that opening so nothing could come in and nothing could come out. And that's how they would protect their sheep at night. So that's what they're doing. That's where they are. But notice what happens. Look in your Bibles. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. <laughs> Suddenly there you are. And the glory of the Lord, which means the, the light, the heat, the glory, the perfections of God are around them. And there was the angel of the Lord, which is probably Gabriel, there with them. Now, the birth of a king's son is normally the occasion of public celebrations, right? When you have a child, so often you, you send out a card that tells me, celebrate. And normally, it's particularly for a king, it's a huge announcement. Never an announcement to a handful of simple shepherds in a field in the middle of nowhere, Bethlehem. No pomp, no priests, no rulers, no scribes, no Pharisees, just a few lowly shepherds. That's his introduction. Now let's go from the introduction to the manger. Verse 10 and 12, look there with me. The humble manger. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day 
in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You can stop there. The proclamation. I bring you good news of great joy. So good news is the word gospel. The first introduction, I, I bring you the gospel. Now, you would be thinking when you see an angel, does he know what I did last night? <laughs> oh no, he's here to bring wrath upon me, right? You, you, that, that's often a response. When they see angels, they fall down and repent. No, no, no. I'm here to bring you good news. Do you see that? I'm here to bring you good news of great joy, news that will bring you amazing joy. And notice those words for all people, which means this news is not just for the Jews or the religious class of Jews or the Pharisees and Sadducees. It's for the whole world. It's for everybody. Okay? What is this good news that will bring joy to everybody in the world? Look in your Bible. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So in Bethlehem, the city of David, this day will be born the long-expected Christ, which means Messiah. That's the king that they've been waiting for and hoping for from the promise of David. Who will be the Savior? Okay, well, there are probably lots of babies that are being born during that season. How are we going to know him? Look there again in your Bibles. And this will be a sign to you, you will find a child swaddled in a manger. Here's how you can tell the child. I'm going to give you a sign, says the angel. He's going to be in the manger. Lots of babies, lots of babies swaddled, maybe in homes, maybe in inns. No babies swaddled in a manger, a food trough. And that's where you're going to find your Messiah, your King, your Savior. And my friends, can you imagine what they thought when the angel said, you can find your Savior not in a palace, not in an inn, not even in a house, in an animal food trough. That's where he'll be. And all of this is to reveal to man the glory of God. Verse 13 and 14, look in your Bibles with me. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. And so when the angel says this, you're going to find him in a food trough. Suddenly an angelic host begins to praise and worship the glory of God, which means the Savior, the Messiah is going to be born. He's coming this day. He's coming now to the glory of God. But that's not it. He will be born in a manger to the glory of God. In other words, to show you the greatness of who you are or who God is, his glory, this child, this Savior will be born in a food trough, in a manger. An eastern prince had difficulty years and years ago with a young man in his city who was constantly causing trouble. The young man was called in and he was given a choice between reformation and death. Pretty easy choice. But he complained, I can't change, I can't reform myself. And so the prince ordered the young man to carry a shell, a simple conch or shell filled to the brim with oil through the city when market day was going on. 
And then he put two servants on either side with sharp swords ready to lop his head off if one drop of the oil hit the ground. After the young man walked through the city, accomplished his task, he came back in front of the prince, and the prince asked this. It was market day in the city. What did you see? The rowdy young man said, nothing. It's market day in the city. What did you hear? Nothing. It's market day. Lots of fresh food. What did you smell? Nothing. I had my eyes fixed on the shell of oil. I could not listen. I could not smell. I could not hear. I was fearful that my head would roll. (laughs) Fixed on one thing. In the angel of God, appearing in glory to common shepherds in a nowhere place, what do you see? What do you see when he says the Messiah, the good news for all people, is going to be found in a food trough in a manger? Well, you see nothing about the glory of man, do you? But the glory of the Messiah's humility. That's what you see. Let me just explain that. Consider the difference between pride and humility. Pride longs for others to see my greatness. I want you to see my power, my superiority. Pride often wants to humble people by showing them my greatness and your smallness. So if a prideful person has an advantage or a spiritual gift, it's got to be shown off. It's got to be. It has to be put on display to obtain the glory and the praise that they long for. Humility comes through seeing the greatness of who our God is and the distance between he and my sinfulness, my my smallness and his glory. There's an infinite greatness of distance there between the two. And humility starts there, but it doesn't finish there. Because if that was all that you understood, then you would understand only, I deserve judgment. It makes God powerful, but not knowable and lovable. Listen, you must also see and feel the beauty of God, of his love, his grace, his mercy, compassion, his goodness, his humility. And this is just how he introduces the Savior to us in the beauty of a manger, his humility on display for us. He is born the king of the world, announced by host and glory, yet in the most humbling of circumstances, in an animal manger, far from earthly glory, in the circumstance of shame. Why? Close with these three things. First, it tells you of his mission. It tells you of his mission. The gospel leads us to love God for his deference for us. That's not a word we use a lot. It just means he's way up here, way, way down here. He, kind of, he comes down to us, his deference, he cares for us. The, the manger carries the message from the beginning what the mission of the Savior is. The manger carries the mission. He became as a servant, gentle and lowly, 
He came to be a king that would serve his people to show the glory of God, not the glory of man. And you see it from the manger, his mission. Second, it shows us his message. What gives us the humility to repent of our sins and become followers and disciples and lovers of Jesus Christ with all of our heart? Well, one of the things is the love of God for us seen in Christ. In that, even though he is so far above us in holiness and goodness and perfection, he would step all the way down to being born as a servant, to be a holy substitute for us on the cross. It is the discovery of the beauty of God's love that works the humility of repentance and trust in our lives. So think about it like this. The law gives us a sense of how holy God is and unholy we are. It, it, it convicts us to the core when we read it. It tells us we are in grave danger of God's judgment. The manger shows us the beauty of how much he loves us. It tells us how much our God will sacrifice to redeem us to himself to redeem us from the judgment of the law, which humbles us, leading to repentance, faith, and love to him. Third and finally, how do we follow the master in humility? <laughs> if you're his disciple, you follow him. You want to be like him. He was born in a manger and died on the cross. That's humility. What does that look like? What does that look like when your 11-year-old son shoots his first deer and he calls the wife and says, I just shot my first deer, my first buck, that is, and I was hunting by myself. Wait a sec. Dad said you weren't we, we, you were not supposed to be hunting by yourself. Here's Dad. Everything in you says, oh, I need to humble myself and repent. But all your pride says, he just shot his first buck. <laughs> it was good. How do you walk in humility? When the long-awaited king was born in a manger, God was pouring out his contempt on all man's pride and glory. And in the, that most glorious one has rejected what we glory in and was born in circumstances that show us the true greatness of his love and his glory. Here's some thoughts. How do we grow in humility? Thoughts from Andrew Murray, and we'll finish here. We have a wrong view, Andrew Murray says, of humility. We think humility is being consumed with my own sinfulness, beating myself up, living lowly, eating lowly, dressing lowly, feeling and looking sad and depressed, driving an old Toyota beater with 250,000 miles. But all those things are a road to pride, says Murray, because it's really just looking at yourself. It never leads to humility. It's more about self. Humility is about being consumed with God's sufficiency. Daily bowing before the throne of grace as those who have been washed from our sins in the blood of the Lamb. Humility comes in the vision that God is all-powerful, glorious, satisfying, and loving. 
In other words, when your eyes are fixed upon the glory of God, it transforms your life. That's the vision statement of our church. And one of the ways it transforms us is it works the awesomeness of humility in our life. Something amazing happens as we bow before, like Andrew Murray says, a vision of a great and glorious and all-powerful and all-sovereign God. The Spirit works humility, repentance, trust, and joy (laughs) in our lives because it brings us close to Him in relationship. If you would pray with me. Father, we worship you. Thank you. Um, The mission of Christ seen from the very beginning of his life in the manger. Simple, common family. Father was a carpenter introduced to a group of shepherds. Lord, born and laid in a food trough all the way to the cross. What a message. He came to serve. He came to die. Came to be the Lamb of God for our sins. That all those by faith in Him and repentance, Lord, would be born again and changed. God, thank you for the beauty of your love. Thank you, God, that you're not, you are holy and awesome. And part of your holiness is your love for us. And we want to see and know your beauty, which we see here. And that is the beauty of your humility. And we just praise it. You, Jesus, for the beauty of your humility. God, give us the grace to have our eyes, particularly in this season, fixed upon the greatness of our God and work. Let us be of the same mind, like Philippians 2 said, have this same mind which was in Christ Jesus who humbled himself. Let us walk with eyes fixed upon you, your greatness, your love for us, who you are, your glory, in the power of the humility of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand again together.